Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York. A bonus U.S. Men's National Team Freakout Edition. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, That new melting emoji has never been more used than this morning. Uh, I hope people didn't follow our lead and and have breakfast and coffee watching that because they would have vomited it back up um, watching what was a a complete meltdown. Not a meltdown. There was nothing to melt down from. It was rancid from beginning to end. Just a really bad performance. Oh, my gosh. That was... uh... You know, we've we've done this podcast for almost eight and a half years, um, and through that time, our opinion on friendlies has fluctuated. And I think by and large, you and I, mainly with, with the urging of you, we've kind of settled in this place of not not to take them too seriously. But I'll say this. This is, as we told you the other day, and as all of you know, this is the final dress rehearsal. And I can guarantee you that the manager of this team is furious with what happened today. So, guess what? It's fine for us to be as well, friendly or not. That was really eye-opening, really, really discouraging. And if you're a U.S. men's national team fan right now that watched that game and then it ended and you sat there for a second and thought, are we, are we maybe not that good? Well, I think I... friendly or not, I think that's an okay thought to have run through your minds today. I've I've so many thoughts running through my mind right now that I I do feel like I have to order them somewhat. But but when I get a text from you like, so you told me you were in DVR mode. I was watching yeah. on, on. I had a to delay take the kids about, to school. It wasn't out of any kind of irresponsibility or forgetting it was on. I I've got no. kids that needed to be in school today. Yeah, uh, and you've got and you've got one child who is acts like an escaped convict. So he has to be. You have to make sure he gets to that school. Um, because there's a good <laughs> that chance you'll so cause... unfair. How yes. dare you talk about my child like that? I mean, he <laughs> you got to move him along. Like he's in full chains and in full Hannibal Lecter. And, and he's in the midst of, we're in the middle of potty training too. Oh, which adds God. a whole other fun element. Good Lord. I hope to. <laughs> Have you alerted the FDNY and all authorities that, that Luke has been potty trained? But anyway, so so you're on delay. I'm I'm watching on a 20 minute delay. Um, so I'm a bit behind everyone, not looking at my phone. I just, I just want to soak it in and I want my reaction to be my reaction and not to be influenced by, by social media or anything like that. And then I get the text from you right at the end. I wait because I, I know it's coming. And you, sir, when it comes to this team, when it comes to, to football in general, I, I would almost say life, you are a stoic, solid uh where I may bend, like I'm the guy outside of a, outside of a car dealership, the wavy guy in the air <laughs> that his arms and limbs go all over the place, trying to entice you in to buy a brand new Buick. Other cars are available. Mm. Whereas you in a storm are solid. You're like the Easter Island monuments, unwavering. I do you, think you of keep, myself like that. Yeah. Yeah. You you take, you know, you do not fluctuate with the winds or the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune you are solid but so when i get a text from you that says that was embarrassing to go and then to to follow up with is it possible that we're we're not that good 
I know that it's that I am right in my in my analysis that this was a stinking performance. One thing I want to get out of the way early. Mm-hmm. I'm aware this is a friendly. I'm aware there are no points on board. I am aware that the referee blew right on the 90. Right on the 90. There's no like, that's, that's that, fine by the way. Yeah. Please don't tell me you're seeing people complain about where's the stoppage time? No one no, is saying that. No, but but it just gives you a sense like that was very much a friendly, let's play this game and then let's stop playing this game. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, so I don't want to keep having to say that during this podcast. That disclaimer is up there right now. This was a friendly. So I, I don't want anyone coming back saying, I don't know why you guys freaked out so much. It was just a friendly. I'm aware of that. But that was a horrifyingly bad performance. Nary a shot on target, Andrew. Not one shot on target. We never looked like troubling the substitute goalkeeper, Daniel Smith, in the second half. Never. We had, I would think, one, maybe two passing sequences that you could call coherent in the entire 90 minutes. We were outfought, outcoached, and outthought. And the things that you expect, the intangibles, forget tactics for a second, the things that you expect from a U.S. men's national team particularly one on the eve of the World Cup, in terms of intensity and spirit and strength, none of that was was visible. I don't know why I said strength was an intangible, because as Michael Goodman pointed out on Twitter, nobody wants to say it, but Japan absolutely brutalized us, beasted us physically. In every facet of the game, we got completely destroyed. Now, we're going to look into the reasons why that might have happened, but you can't come out of this friendly against a team that for me, for at least 15, 20 years, has been a solid international side and a side that plays a, an attractive brand of football and, and are very good technically and very good at keeping the football and creating patterns of play. You cannot tell me after facing this side and watching that 90 minutes that you're anything other than dismayed. Yeah, And it should be noted regarding that opponent, um, that the U.S. had today in Japan. So uh, their FIFA world ranking is 24th. Again, this is not a hard and fast system. It's just a gauge. But you should know that all three of the U.S.'s opponents at this upcoming World Cup have better FIFA world rankings than that, even Iran, who are 22nd. Um, so it ain't going to get much easier. Uh, the U.S. this calendar year, one win, three losses, and two draws against nations that have qualified for the World Cup. Their win was that friendly against Morocco. Let's go through it now. Um, I did make a rundown. I'm sorry I didn't send it to you. It was kind of just tabulating my thoughts on uh, my computer as the game was happening in front of me. And so I kind of my first category here, JJ, is just says, wow, a lot to be concerned about. So the first thing I have here is, once again, I mean, you can talk about the whole first half. I, I I said a slow start. And, like, this was a problem all throughout qualifying. So the sample size is pretty large now. This team does not start games well. I don't know why that is. If they come out and they're just not they're not ready in the way that their opponents are, um, I, don't, I don't really know how to explain that. But it is kind of now baked into the personality of this team. And you hope it doesn't bite them once we get to Qatar. Yeah, and, and even more concerning, they don't start well away from home. I mean, I'm sure you'll 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 folk, you'll have a look at the the home the away record, but you know, I, I we we had one away win in World Cup qualifying, 
And I know we kind of push that to the side because it's all about getting through it and getting it done. But mm. but this side doesn't play well away. Now, there's there's a counter, not a counter argument, but there's a feeling after this game that I've taken from some supporters who are trying to look on the sunnier side of things. And they're well within their rights. Um, if What if Jesus Ferreira scores that header early on? How are we looking at this team then? And I'm like, well, okay. I still, I, I think he should score. He's got to at least work, work the goalkeeper from that opportunity. It was a decent move. One of the two or three coherent that we managed, moves that we managed to put together. But let's talk about, we can't live in an imaginary world where he does score. He didn't. And also too, I don't accept that. What if he scored? Like, look, I like Jesus Ferreira. He's a, he's a fine player. And I think he'll, he, he should be on this team. That's, that's all fine and good. But like, Let's not act like that's Robert Lewandowski missing that chance. And if it happened again at a World Cup, you could say, well, the next time Lewandowski gets that, he's converting it. Like, this is part of the problem, is that there are players at that position that we're not sure of. So you can't just say, well, if Jesus Ferreira scores that, well, like, he's not, he's not good enough where it's a guarantee he's going to convert these chances. That's part of the issue with this team. So I don't know that I can accept just sort of saying, oh, like, the the mindset that if it if it happens again he'll probably score that I don't think you can I don't think you can just speak that into existence. Yeah, I I agree with you, and and also we should we should focus on the game that was played. You know, the other eighty minutes or eighty five minutes or whatever it was, where the things like I, I have to give credit to Japan first of all because sure. I know this is a U.S. centric podcast everybody understands that, but I I just want to focus on the. Th- on, on Japan, just for one second, like Ito, Endo, uh, Kubo, uh, Kamada, they had unbelievable games. They played extremely well. They're quality players. Mm. But this team looked like a team that had a plan and was executing it. More worrisome, knew what our plan was and completely nullified it. So when our center halves would get the ball, generally speaking, they would allow them to have the ball, uh, Walker Zimmerman in particular. And then when the ball would come into our midfield, uh, Adams, De La Torre and McKinney, Japan would press. They had like these triggers. So when that ball goes into the midfield, they were tight upon us. And that's where the physicality came in. I mean, McKinney, Adams coughed the ball up a lot in the first half. I mm-hmm. thought Adams was better than McKinney. I thought McKinney was dreadful. They both had bad games. Yes, okay. Luca De La Torre looked like a guy who hasn't had minutes. And I think he could have been hooked even earlier than that. And I kept giving the ball away. McKinney particularly on the opening goal. Now, that wasn't down to pressure. Maybe it was. Maybe he was expecting pressure. There was pressure. But that's a pass he's got to make or a ball he can't give away there. And it's so lackadaisical. And Japan are straight in on top of us. But Japan knew our weaknesses. And they knew how to trigger, to, to get at us. That was hugely concerning. And we... Yeah, well, well just to expound on that for a sec, like... As you were watching it, JJ, wasn't there part of you in that first half that was kind of thinking, uh, I hope Wales isn't watching this? Like, it felt like a blueprint was being laid out as to how you could just end us. And, like, an effective high press, it feels like, is just going to shred this team. <laughs> yeah. And, ooh, I, I, you have to be careful about revisionism, but, but let's do it. Maybe we've met our most sophisticated foe in some time, and I mean foe in the sporting sense, I don't want to get into jingoism, but we've met a sophisticated opposition that knows how to play against our game and it 
we haven't met that in CONCACAF. We haven't met that in Gold Cup. I haven't really met it from Mexico either. One of the leading lights in, 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 in our region. And now we're being exposed a bit. And how do we change that? How do we pivot? I mean, do we pivot? Kind of, is, it, we is it too late in the game? Like, oh, I think it can, is. I mean, can you I do that now? I don't know. Um, I don't think I don't think there's the time. But there's also um, there was a lack of energy and intensity in our own performance. Like it's not like our oh, press. Wasn't Gr- Greg good. said after the game that he didn't see the team's personality. I forget the exact quote, but I think I think personality was the word that he used, and he's right. It was lifeless in in, in all elements. Um, I want to. I want to talk about. A, I'm, I know we're jumping all well, over. Hold on. Here. Can, let, let's. I'm not. I'm not ready to leave this kind of high press issue and the U.S.'s inability to to fight through it. Two stats jumped out to me. One, uh, only 31 sequences for the U.S. reached the attacking third. That is the fewest under Greg Bearhalter. That is jarring. And then mm. the other one, JJ, that by now surely everyone has seen because it is one of those stats that I like to refer to as a wait what stat. When you see it, like you just have to say those two words one after another. JJ, the U.S. lost possession in their own half 54 times in the first half. 54 times in 45 minutes to start this game, the U.S. lost possession in their own half. Aaron Long with that lazy pass early on. Walker Zimmerman passing out from the back. Yeah, those two guys, look, they are going to, they've been under a spotlight for some time, and today did not help, specifically with Long. And I saw a tweet from Hercules Gomez that I thought <laughs> it's I think it's really important and I think we got to talk about it for a sec. Um he said this. He said neither Long nor Zimmerman are asked to play out of the back week in and week out at their clubs. Not like Bearhalter asks of them. The back line struggling to deal with Japan's pressure, better teams will punish you for it. And I think that tweet is so important, JJ, because what are the things that we're told, that we've been told constantly about why guys like PFOC and Ream, two players who are standing out right now in two of the top three leagues in, in Europe and arguably the world, and we are told that they can't play for the U.S. men, not because they're not necessarily not good enough, but because they don't fit into the system. Okay. And... and I mean, look, I don't accept that, but a lot of people accept that system matters, sure. But then how do you explain what Herc is saying? How do you explain that you know Zimmerman and Long are being asked to do this thing for Greg Bearhalter that is arguably one of the most important things that you can ask your center backs to do in a World Cup, in a tournament format, playing out from the back, and these guys aren't doing it week in, week out for their clubs, but they fit the system? That can't be questioned? Guys who well, are performing I, at a high level in better leagues are cast aside because they don't fit. These well, two I, things don't they don't mesh for me. No, I know, but 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 don't, haven't we come to the conclusion that Greg thinks that their recovery ability, their ability to play in a high a higher line, um, and their ability to to when when we lose the ball, which we which we did a lot, and in fairness, I did see Long make a couple of good recovery runs when that did happen. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, look, they weren't bad. Like, Zimmerman wasn't bad for 90 minutes. Long wasn't bad for 45 minutes. Sure, they they were positionally, they had moments where Japan were threatening and, and they had clearances. They did things that were okay. But they made enough mistakes that, like, it had to, to your, raise eyebrows. Well, but to your point, it does raise eyebrows. But to your point, it is that um, that idea that that Greg is just thinking, all right, I've got these players who are better on the ball, but they're slower on the when we don't have it. 
Um, who am I going to go for? And he's plumping for for Walker, Zimmerman, and Long. Although with Long being hooked at half time, you'd wonder if Greg is, has has heard the alarm bells himself. Well, he this, he uh, had said, in fairness to Long and Greg, he had always said, I think he said two days ago that they were going to take off one of their center backs at the half or early in the second half. Okay, fair enough. Well, um, Football America's tweeted this out. Um, so it's it's it's, it's Zimmerman and Long, and, and like I don't. I don't want to focus completely and entirely on these guys because oh, we'll get Japan, to others. Japan played it perfectly in that if you're turning it over in midfield the way that they did, they're straight in on top of Lang and Zimmerman immediately. So, but let's let's deal with them while while, while we are talking about the centre backs. Minutes so Lang at forty five, Zimmerman had ninety recoveries. Lang had three, Zimmerman had seven. Um, possession lost. Lang six, Zimmerman twelve. Mm. That is just just not good enough. Just not good enough. Yeah. Um, but there was a systems failure that was triggered by Japan. By Japan, we we got out coached. We got out tactic today. Um, on on a side note, did you notice that the the camera panned to the feet of the Japanese management and coaching staff, and they had like five uh, boards, whiteboards with magnets on it, and just like it, it appeared to be like uh, one was with the ball, one was out the, without the ball. I mean, I obviously couldn't read them properly, but I, I've never seen so many magnet boards. Now it's usually all like iPads or, or Windows tablets, but um, these guys came prepared. I have long and believed that that's what we're missing. <laughs> more <laughs> whiteboards. More magnetic whiteboards. Yeah, definitely. Can we, can we, can we figure that out, USSF? Come on. It's important. The best in the world are using magnetic whiteboards. Let's get on it. I'll say this. I don't want to – I mean, this is obviously not a, a happy podcast with how this team just played. Um, if if we're going to talk about Zimmerman and Long, I did think in the second half, whether it was – I don't know if it's the introduction of Mark McKenzie that maybe helped Zimmerman in some way. I did think he looked better. Uh, he had a couple passes that I noted that were kind of – that like straight up the seam, split the Japanese midfield, like a nice, you know – 30 to 40 yard passes that kind of cut through and spun an attack the other way for the U S. So like if he can do those things more consistently, um, then, you know, I still, you know, I mean, look, I've been critical of guys for this U S team, but I I've come to terms with Walker Zimmerman being a starter for them. That's hasn't necessarily been a spot that concerned me. He wasn't great today, but, um, yeah, I don't know what that spot next to him. I, I don't, I still don't know who that should be. Um, and it's a shame that Chris Richards was hurt. And not able to, and Cameron Carter Vickers as well, because um, you know Aaron Long was objectively not good. I'm sure he would probably say that this was not a good performance himself. Uh, so and, there's an opportunity there, and and the guys who maybe would be most likely to take it aren't available. Yeah, um, guide me, Sensei. Where are you taking me next in this uh, this tale of woe? <sighs> okay, well, I was going to go to the other end of the field and the attack because you know. Uh, Sure. Every we should say, like no one is free of criticism today. So like I don't want well, to. This is not just poorly. A, it's not just a Zimmerman and Long podcast. Everyone played poorly except one guy, Matt Turner. We don't, we don't even we bet we don't even need to say his name. That is the one thing that has emerged from this. His performance, particularly the one that he that he that he put his hand, um, he flicked it around the post, was another, and I, I think. There were so many giveaways, but I think it was Mark McKenzie just got himself into a, a complete knot 
on the sideline, instead of just kicking the ball out of play or even playing it backwards, he gives up possession, which was the theme of the day. The ball goes into the left-hand corner. That's a good effort, and, and it's a brilliant save. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about him for a sec if you do want to take a, a quick break from the negative and go to the positive. Six saves, second most by a U.S. keeper under Bearhalter since uh, January of 2019. Um, and I, and that was Turner also, who had eight saves um, against Morocco. This Like, this game today is why, for me, he's the number one keeper. Because, 100%. Because, like, even back in qualifying, JJ, even when the U.S. were getting results, you know, it was one nils. You know, it was like games that were tight. This U.S. team, I think we know enough by now, if they go to the World Cup, if they show up there and they're winning games 4-1, we're all going to be pretty surprised because that's not, that's not what we've seen. So it's hard for us to expect something different. So if they're going to win games, it's going to be tight draws, narrow victories, things like that. So... Like with that being the case, I need a keeper who's going to make six or eight saves. Who's going to who who will allow this game in the 80th minute to just be a one nil deficit as opposed to another keeper who's not as good of a shot stopper and the score is now two nil and there's no way back. So like just I know that you know there were a couple moments where him playing with his playing out from the back with his feet came under concern. Um, I get well, it. I, it's it's not, not the, it's not you... the strength in his game, but it's not it's not what I want from our keeper right now. I, I thought there was one sequence in the second half where we actually played out of trouble, played through their press, and he was he received it on the on the on the not the goal line but the end line, and I thought his feet were really good. He kept the ball moving. Um, Andrew, he's he's head and shoulders our best goalkeeper now. I think so too. And you know they made a good point, something that I had not considered um, during the broadcast. John Champion, Taylor Twelman, they brought up the fact that. With the congested fixture schedule and Arsenal in the Europa League and Matt Turner being the goalkeeper for Arsenal in the Europa League, everyone who's been saying he's not he's not playing leading up to this tournament, that's not good. Arsenal have a Europa, a Europa League match every week between now and the start of the tournament, and he's the goalkeeper. He's got five yeah. games. It's the same yeah. as pretty much every other goalkeeper in a normal cycle. So like I'm even that. I've kind of like eased up on this idea that he's not playing because he will be. I think it's five Europa League fixtures and one League Cup fixture, so it's either five or six games that he'll play. I, it's, for them. it's it's enough. It's yeah, enough. Right. It definitely is enough. Um, I, before we move on to the next thing, because I, I know people they always want to hear my opinion on pitches. <laughs> How in the name of God and all that is glorious is that field in that condition in late September? I mean, <laughs> you're so, this is so on brand. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even notice. Oh, come on, Andrew. I didn't notice. You didn't notice. This Can is, I ask you something else? Moments like this, I love you. This is so you. It was it was really bad. And it was, it, I mean, a lot of the animals were, were also chiming in to, to mention and, and hoping they get some pitch reaction. The only thing I can say is that maybe there's been uh, heavy rainfall in Dusseldorf hmm. or... I would think that both sides have trained trained on the field at some point in the last 48 hours because it was cutting up so easily. It was cut up before the game started. Um, one other thing of note before we get back to the, the grim tactical breakdown. Um, there were very few people in the stadium. Yeah. There was a lot of men, women, children, families on the Japanese side who in the Japanese community in Dusseldorf or in that German re in that region of Germany, and there were a few American fans in there, 
who I I'm presuming you heard them as well. Yeah, they were noisy all throughout. They were. At one point, I wanted them just to just just be quiet because I don't mind them cheering for their side. That's the stuff I want to hear. Mm-hmm. The stuff that they were going on with was was pretty unedifying for that kind of a that kind of a game. So when Daniel um, Schmidt came on, who was uh, a U.S. citizen as, as well as a, a Japanese citizen, um, they started chanting at him, first of all, that he was a W, repeatedly kept saying it. Um, hmm. I didn't then, notice that. Oh, I, I, I couldn't unhear it once it started. It irritated me so much. Okay. And then started chanting at him that he was actually an American. Now, apart from the the silliness and the in, in the inaneness of the whole thing, you know, read the room. It's not that kind of game. It's not like Schmidt in the papers before the game. Schmidt launches broadside at US. You know, you're not my country. Or like right. made some kind of, yeah, you know, he assaulted a bald eagle or something to get upset about. Like to act like that in the game. You guys, whoever you were, I don't care that it's Oktoberfest. Just wise up. You annoyed me. Also, we are not the nation to be laying into dual nationals for their choices. Like the U.S. squad is kind of kind of littered with with those players. So of course, um, of course, yeah. But just don't don't do it anyway. But also, this was not the intensity level of. Oh, you know what? Maybe maybe they were trying to inspire some intensity out of the the ranks of the U.S. team. Because, I'm all for uh, them cheering throughout. Like I didn't have a problem with that. I, I did not realize that that it was like vitriol. No, I can't. Um, but once I heard it, I was like, "Stop, jeez, guys." Hmm. Interesting. I'll tell you what. Let me anyway. let me think on that for a moment. Let me sit with that. Gather my thoughts. We'll come back. We'll we'll wrap up here with a few other things that we want to talk about from this game. And I did watch the Figo documentary on your recommendation, and oh. and it might be your best recommendation to date. Uh, so wow. I'll give a, a quick couple thoughts on that as well. Still a little bit more to do here on a on a cold Friday uh, in New York City on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back again. You know, one thing uh, that I wanted to mention, and it's amazing how it kind of flew under the radar. They did mention it on the broadcast near the end, like right at the end. You talk about ends of an era uh, in this sport, in this country. For the foreseeable future, this was the last U.S. men's national team game that you will see on ESPN. And that is hard to fathom for almost every soccer fan in this country that has grown up with it. Now, sure, it's been splintered at different points, and different networks have also taken games. But but ESPN has been a constant throughout. And for whatever um, for whatever criticisms you've had of different elements of the coverage along the way, I know some people had a problem back before the yeah. the Mexico match with the lack of a pregame coverage, things yeah. like that. For whatever criticisms there are, ESPN ABC has done a phenomenal job with this team uh, and, and you know, at World Cups, I can think of the, the way they kind of took World Cup coverage in this country to a totally different level with the, the personnel that they brought in, uh, with just the way it was handled, the, kind of the round-the-clock nature of it, European championships as well. Um, and so it's, it's hard to almost fathom that uh, ESPN is now out of the U.S. soccer business. Um, pretty wild as Turner now takes over and um, – you hope. I mean, look. I hope that their coverage is even better. I hope they take it to to greater heights. But, I, I look uh, forward yeah, to pretty pretty incredible. 
I look forward to see what they they offer. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting and uh, kind of like usually this stuff would end with like a major tournament. It was just it was just jarring to me as we kind of wound the clock down on on this kind of dour friendly. And then they were like, by the way, this is the end of 30 years of coverage. I was like, oh, what? what? Wait, huh? What a terrible way to go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple other things I want to talk about um, before we get out on this podcast, JJ. I want to talk about the the fullback position for a sec, specifically Sam Vines. Mm. This is not an indictment on him necessarily, but this is more on something that I have been saying for a, a full year now. And that is, I think it warrants being said again right now, I'm not saying Anthony Robinson is the best player on this team. All right? That is, that is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, I think today was more evidence of what right. I've been saying for a year, that he's the most irreplaceable player on this team. There's not another guy who does what he does at that position. If we lose Pulisic, which today they were without him, and that, trust me, I, I still believe he's the best player on this team, and losing him would be a massive blow to any chances that the U.S. would have of advancing. But, okay. but you can make a case that if you're talking about, okay, well, who's the next man up? If it's Brendan Aronson or Gio Reyna, you can say, all right, it's not Pulisic, but, I, but that's not a weakness. We're good there. Yeah, if, if you don't I- have Anthony Robinson, a guy who is so vital to both the defense and the attack, there's no one close to him. At that position. And you saw that today. That was a huge loss for the U.S. Uh, and I pray, wrap that guy in bubble wrap when he comes back. He's got to be healthy for this tournament. Yeah, I, I, I want to launch a, a defense of Sam Vines. Um, because, Andrew, it, it's very hard. And I, and I would have been curious to see how Anthony Robertson would have coped in that position. It's very hard when, first of all, they were pinned in. For, for most of the, the first half and indeed the second half. But there was a slight tactical tweak in the second half that saw Vines get higher up the field. Now, he, he got into a couple of, couple of good positions. Um, I mean, they came to nothing. I think there was one where uh, the ball was centered. Vines got, it was 68 minutes. Vines got down the left. He crossed to Tillman and Tillman um, kind of botched it or he swiped at it. It, was, it wasn't even rise to the level of a half chance. Mm. But it was more than it happened in the first half. And But if things are going wrong, so badly wrong in central midfield and building out from the back and you've got a high left back or a guy, a left back that needs to get forward, that's part of his, his raison d'etre in the side, then it's tough, Andrew. It's very, very tough. I felt bad but, for him. But Robinson is a threat that other teams have to account for. His ability to to sprint forward. You can play a long ball into that channel and he'll run up to it. Now you're stretching the defense. Not having him, it's just a different team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I I would say it it is crucial, Andrew. You know, it's not like Robinson would run into the midfield, get the ball and bring it out to the wing. It has to be supplied out to him. Now, you can say, hey, that Sam Vines didn't offer that out ball in the first half, but hey, you know, okay, fine. I'll take that argument to some extent, but it's a lonely position being the wide guy who needs to be high up the field, who needs to be that outlet ball in attack when there is no control on the ball in the center of the park. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I, I, I don't, basically but, what I'm saying is this cannot, you know, I, I, I understand Anthony Robinson is the clear starter there. But I, I don't want to for for this to come down as an indictment on Sam Vines or or anything of that nature because I I really think that would be unfair. Um, 
let's see. What I wanted to say about the attack, if you were hoping to learn something today, if you were hoping not- to to have some sort of solidification in some way today, you you're not getting it. Not today. Um, the best chance of the game, Jesus Ferreira missed the header that we referenced earlier. I would think ball's got to be at least put on target. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then you got Josh Sargent in the second half. Wasn't much better. Both guys, if you're comparing them statistically, both guys, Ferreira and Sargent played 45 minutes. Both only had 14 touches. Ferreira had two shots. Sargent had zero. Um, yeah, not. If you're if you need if you're waiting for that crystallization moment, the aha moment, not today. Um, again, here's another thing that really bugged me about this game. Maybe someone can come up with with something to to counter this, but I doubt they can. The of the four changes at half time, so you had Sergeant Morris, McKenzie, and Cannon came in. They made. No difference. And in, in one case, I would say Cannon got brutally exposed. Um, on the Matoma goal, he, he just gets run run at. He gets turned inside out. Adams tries to get into a covering position, doesn't get there. Zimmerman stands up. But if anything, Zimmerman just becomes a perfect kind of traffic cone for uh, Matoma to bend it round and unsight. It's a good finish. I'll, I'll give Japan some do on that on that the was, finish. It was a good finish. That was a super goal. It yeah. really was. But that it's depressing that those players came in uh, and the buzz around Sargent to come in then and then just like n- no through no fault of his own, I think. Um he would have had to drop very very deep to get involved in the game at all and not to be supplied, not to get any ball. Not to get any chances. Yeah, I mean, just dreadful. They, they, like, they, they look, really, Daniel did. Did Daniel Schmidt get his jersey dirty? Like, did he go full length on anything? No, else? no, no, no. Oh my Absolutely god! Absolutely not. I mean, look, they they looked better at the start of the second half than they did the entire first half. Certainly, um, yeah. There was the like the longest period of possession came in forty-seven minutes. Yeah, like there was a really good, but. I mean, this is thin gruel. This is needle in the haystack stuff. Oh yeah. Oh. They were bad. Like Japan played through us at will. They did. Um, yeah, it was it was rough. It was now. Can I? Pretty rough. Can I get? Uh, I know. I know you have a million other things. To no, get to, not a I, million. I just really had one other big one. Um, but okay, go ahead. The floor is yours. Oh, the floor is mine. Okay. Uh, well, while we're talking about the attack, you know, you you watch some of these U.S. games and you watch today and you think, okay, like this team. If it's not going to be flowing and coherent consistently the way you would like it to look in attack, then they're going to have to find other ways of scoring, namely set pieces. And Tom Bogert tweeted this. He said, USMNT's impotence on set pieces outside of that Honduras game has been perplexing given aerial prowess of McKinney, Zimmerman, and others and technical ability of attackers to deliver. Hmm. Um, He goes on and says, both corners today have been easily caught by Japan's goalkeeper, set pieces so crucial in tournaments. He's right. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, you would think he, he's right to point out, you know, guys like Zimmerman, McKinney, who we've seen with Juventus, is is so lethal uh, in the air. Um, Both corners, though. Japan had eight corners. We had two. We didn't win a free kick that I can remember of note in the final third. Well, Gio, we did. Gio Reyna played in a ball on a free kick, which I actually thought was decent, but there was the ball was good, but there was no one near the end of it, and it was okay. it was gobbled up by uh the keeper um right. but yeah it's just like just not really threatening 
uh, on yeah. set pieces, which, I mean, look, you can. we know how set pieces can go. You can look bad on nine of them, and if the 10th one is great, then you leave that game thinking, oh, set pieces won it for us again. So, like, that can change very quickly. Um, but all I have to go off of right now is what we've seen. The, the overall body of evidence is that, the, again, if you're if you're looking ahead to Qatar and thinking of how this team is going to succeed, I don't think right now you can put set pieces in the win column. It doesn't look like that. Oh, for sure not. And um, what I wanted to just quickly focus on, um, and again, it's off the field. So mm. it, it's, it's Berhalter after the game. And he used the word that the game was competitive. Now, in, in, in my parlance, a competitive game is two teams going at it. That wasn't the case in this game. And then I thought, okay, strange. Maybe he's trying to talk up the performance um, as is his wont. He actually looked a little bit shell-shocked after the yeah. game. I, th- I, I thought, thought so too, which is why I said at the start of this that like you know he's not happy. So it's okay for fans to reflect that. Yeah. I mean... I, uh, bollocking hair dryer, call it what you will. This is a this is a time for Greg to to shout, I would think. But then Matt Turner afterwards as well, he said, uh, compet- He was uh, you know he thought the game was competitive, and I'm just thinking, all right, okay, I've heard this a second time. What is going on here? He's not parroting what Greg said. He's come up with this word himself, and what I can only deduce from that, and again, people are going to say you're making excuses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that they were surprised that Japan were as uh, intense Mm. and up for the game as they were and that the U.S. didn't match it. You might be right about that. You you might be right. Yeah. Because I was I mean, one of the things I was thinking about is like, in terms of a friendly, Brendan Aronson is going to wake up tomorrow and think that he just played in a cup final. Like, he was brutalized out there. I, I thought they should have taken him off at, like, the 70th minute or something. Well, there was there was two two attacks on his lower back, which really worried me. Followed um, by the studs-up challenge to the back of his leg. Which was just dreadful. And the guy comes over, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it was some kind of an accident. It was just a terrible tackle. And I thought now, the fact that there wasn't uh, – I mean, this is not important, but, like, how's there not a card issued there? It was clearly a foul of frustration. Yeah, it was that same was. player – Ito, I think it was, who had a, a yeah. only moments earlier had a terrible touch um, when he was coming down the right wing and played it out for a, a goal kick. So he was frustrated, and I think that was reflected in that challenge. To not, I mean, they were saying Twelman and Champion were saying it should have been reviewed for a possible red. It had to at least be a yellow. I think that was kind of shameful that it wasn't. I, 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 I think the the fact that he didn't come flying in and that he had a standing foot, there wasn't that much torque, um, and, and like that, those things do matter, like. Is, is the reason that he escaped anything in terms of red, in terms of the height of the challenge and the way the challenge Gotta be, uh, was, was studs. It was, it wasn't good. But yeah, but um, I think stuff like that is kind of what you're talking about that like Aronson was put through the ringer out there by, by Japan. And maybe the U S was just not expecting that sort of physicality from a game like this. And I mean, it, it seems just so pointless, but if I'm handing out like props, I would say Brendan Aronson did put in a shift. He did work hard. He had that kind of, half chance where he uh, on 80 minutes where he curled one past the post yeah. um he was a little unbalanced when he took the shot but it was at least an attempt to carve something out of nothing and for that he should get some kind of credit but <laughs> this is reaching uh, i love look at you reaching this is reaching this is me looking for for moisture of of sustenance in a desert of a performance by the US so here's the excuse making um, 
the excuse making, it's a friendly. The excuse making portion of today's podcast. The <laughs> friendly brought to you it's, by. A, it's a friendly, so it doesn't matter. That's uh, that's one part of the excuse making. The other part, um, look, like I don't. <laughs> this isn't necessarily what they're going to look like in Qatar. Uh, Pulisic, Musa, Wea, um, yeah. Anthony Robinson. You know, that's those are four important players. That doesn't make up for the fact that this was total domination. Yeah. Uh, there was still enough talent on that field today oh, come on, for, yeah. for the U.S. to like. It's one thing to have drawn this game, to have lost this game, but it's a it's a whole another thing. You, you can't make the the injury excuse because that doesn't excuse uh, the effort and the dominance that Japan showed and just the feebleness from U.S. Um, but uh, but it, but those players not being available today, I guess, are at least somewhat why I'm not. I'm not digging a hole and living in it for the next six months and having you waking me up when the World Cup is over. Um, it's no, why I'm not I know quite you're there. gonna you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be stoic Andy again. But I will say this though, the Polisic thing, like I can say, uh, you know, he he wasn't there today, so it'll be okay come uh, Qatar. But like the fact that he didn't play today is the whole worry of him that he picked up another knock in training. Now, Bearhalter was clear in saying that it wasn't serious, that if the world if this was a World Cup match he could have played and that he'll likely be available for the next game next week against Saudi Arabia. But like you're kind of living in this in this day-to-day world with your best player where you just don't quite know like can can you guarantee that he's going to be healthy for all of these games? It's that's kind of the nature of the beast with him unfortunately. Um, it's not his fault. It's just some this is just stuff that happens, and it, it seemingly happens more often with him. And, well, and you can even say the same of Gio Reyna, who's another one of their most important players. So, like we've said all along, injuries injuries are going to be a factor in this. It's just and, and, and the way it is. We have, we have actually, you know, we've tr- we've uh, trumpeted or, or what's the word? Um, we've we've talked about depth as well, Andrew. You know, we can't just hang our hat on one player or having. I know your most important player available, but. I look at that team today, and I'll bring it back to today because that's what we're reacting to. I look at that side, I think of McKinney. You're going to put out a team with McKinney, Adams, De La Torre. You're going to start Reyna. You're going to have Ferreira centrally. You're going to have Brendan Aronson in the side. And you're going to have the manager's preferred centre-back pairing going into this game on the field. Yeah, and Dest and, at right back. And Dest at right back. Yeah. This has got to be better. Mm-hmm. This was a shambles today. <laughs> thousand percent i want so badly to disagree and say that you're just this this dark pessimist but it's hard to have watched that and come away feeling differently now i guess we can end the u.s discussion by saying this like okay now that we've said all this stuff this like really just like really put it out there how worrisome that was i guess we'll ask the question on a scale of one to ten one being not at all, ten being a great deal. How much are we overreacting to to a friendly two months out from a World Cup? Um, I don't think we are. Okay, I don't think we are. I think um, the one factor I would go back to: if the U.S. team was not sufficiently, um, what's the word, intensified, if they were not sufficiently. Uh, if if they approach this friendly with a more laissez-faire attitude than the Japanese, then that is definitely a contributing factor. But if they didn't, and they went in there as wound up as they would be for a game, here's the thing: this is the the second last opportunity before 
before the World Cup. Mm-hmm. You can't say that this is anything other than than bad against a team that is ranked twenty fourth in the world, which is and a, and a team that a team of of some substance. Yeah, it's not good. No, I'm just going to try to speak into existence that this will be a wake up call, and that they needed this. That they've yeah. been that they're young, and that they've kind of been feeling themselves with you know playing well and being. And look, in- a World Cup is going to bring its own. I mean, so I saw someone on, on on Twitter make the argument that they played tight. That first, you know, and I just can't buy that. Tight. What are you going to be like in the opening game of the biggest show on earth? How are you tight in front of nobody in Dusseldorf? Yeah. yeah. Come on, I'm not buying that. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, that's about all I got. Um, I did mention that you you had convinced me with ease to check out the Figo documentary on Netflix, and I would tell any soccer fan out there that it is must-watch. It it's really phenomenal. Is. It's so good. It is. It's fascinating, and it's it's such an insight into into that moment in time and, and, and the forging of of reputations beyond Figo, the forging of a reputation oh, in yeah. Florentino, Florentino Perez. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, we should make it entirely clear. I think you, you were pretty clear in the last pod when you mentioned it but just in case it's not like this is not a retrospective on on figo's life that's not what no. it is it is a documentary centered around his transfer from barcelona to real madrid and the spectacle uh and the fervor and everything that came along with that and how like you said it shaped entire careers i mean you watch this documentary and you you come away from it thinking that it it is a true inflection point in the history of this sport and in the history yes. of those two clubs in particular um, I mean, if if like one decision or one bizarre decision in the lead up to that transfer goes a different way, and history completely unfolds in a in a much different way for Barcelona and Real Madrid, it's just and for Florentino Perez certainly it was. I I don't know. I can't speak highly enough of it. Everything about it, like the production value, the music, everything. It was really well done. Oh, and they had it, all. It, the, and in terms of like the people who are interviewed in it, they got. All the right people. Anybody that you would want to hear from on it, they are interviewed extensively. It's and excellent. And they, they have they have Florentino Perez then. They have Florentino Perez now. Mm-hmm. They had access to all the, the, the Spanish media, the shows, all the TV shows, all the interviews, everything. Yeah. Um, Figo is a fully uh, willing participant. Um, Paulo Futre comes across as, I don't know, just a complete... Just as the great goal scorer that he was, a complete opportunist. Um, <laughs> it's mag- it's a magnificent documentary. Um, I, I it, it's one of those I'll go back and watch again. I yeah, think. yeah, I I could rewatch that. There's yeah. definite definite rewatchability to it. So and, there, that's it, your positive to end on. If if all you <laughs> soccer fans listening to this podcast right now that need a pick me up, it's an hour forty five minutes, so it's kind of long. But if you're not busy tonight or sometime this weekend, it's brilliant and you'll love it. Oh, and one other thing. Um, just talking about uh, Portuguese people in in, um, in modern uh, modern culture and modern art and documentaries. Uh, Jose Mourinho is uh, is in Stormzy's new video. <laughs> Haven't watched it yet, video. but I've seen a lot of tweets about it. Yeah, so they they use the cut of I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I I get in big big trouble, and I I do not want to be in trouble. So they use that, um, and they have Jose standing there um, with his finger over his lips. And in fairness. Uh, the 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 song itself, the backing track, 
I mean, you know me, Andrew. I love my UK grime. Uh, it sounds good. It does sound good. Yeah. Uh, it's in, it's incongruous seeing Mourinho in the video, definitely. Um, but it's uh, it could be a good track, um, and and I, and I would challenge anyone to tell me what other R and B rap superstar, um, if we include Stormzy in that genre, has ever featured in 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 two songs. Uh, David Moyes and now Jose Mourinho. I mean, it's got to be a category of one. <laughs> it just has to be. I guess so. Um, that's about all I got. Last thing, uh, I was kind of hoping that, you know what, maybe once I see the uniforms actually on the players out on the field and I'll with oh, the numbers, yes, yes, maybe yes. maybe I'll feel different. No, nah, I still don't like them. And I'm really dreading having to see the other ones next week. I'm assuming they're, they'll wear those black and blue tie-dye ones or whatever next. And, uh, yeah, still – Still not doing it for me. Just uh, just got to chart that one Defin- up as, a, as another L on the day. I, they definitely look better with numbers and names on it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but- um, my, uh, my, my girlfriend pointed out that the blue thing at the front, and just the way it is, the blue is, is allocated on the jersey. It does look like a kind of like, almost like a harness or something. It looks, it, it looks weird. Yeah. Now, other, pe- other people have pointed out... It's just the PSG training top. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody mention that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Didn't Doesn't feel like a whole lot of effort went into this one. And I'm kind of hoping that the whole idea of look good, play good does not apply uh, at this upcoming tournament. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Ah, well, that's a fun uh. one to take into your weekend. Hey, you know what? It's been a while since the the righteous anger of Andrew and JJ has been foisted upon this team. So, yeah, and we'll be back next week. Hopefully, it's a different tone. You know, I hope that they they play better, that they do see this as some kind of wake up call, that it's friendly or not. Like this is it. Get serious, because um, this is the last dress rehearsal before the real thing. Yes, let us leave them with that message. Yep. Please play better. Please, please, pretty please. Hey. Even through all the darkness and the negativity, this podcast is still a light for me, my friend. This was fun, as it always is. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 